Our second reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 13 through 20, and it can be found on page 4 of your pew Bibles if you'd like to follow along. This is the second part of Jesus' first sermon, which began with the Beatitudes, those pronouncements of blessings, and then Jesus goes on to say this, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, Whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A few years ago, the novelist Mary Gordon published a book titled Reading Jesus, a writer's encounter with the Gospels. As one reviewer said, it is a book of questions for, quibbles with, and tributes to the sometimes inscrutable protagonist of the Gospels. Gordon realized that despite a Roman Catholic upbringing, she had never actually read the four Gospels in succession. When she did, she was particularly impacted by rereading the Beatitudes, those blessings with which Jesus begins his very first sermon and which come right before the passage we just heard. Pausing and letting these blessings roll over her, Gordon realizes they are calling to her to say, yes, for this I will try to change my life. Even more, she realizes that without this, I would not know who I am. Do you know? who you are? You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Father Gregory Boyle likes to say that the Beatitudes are more than just blessings. They are geography. He calls the Beatitudes geography because they teach us to recognize that even in the most unlikely places and circumstances, we stand with God and God stands with us. 
In his first sermon to his followers, Jesus follows this description of where we are in the Beatitudes with this reminder of who we are. You are with God and God is with you, he says, and you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. In other words, you are necessary for life itself. Your very presence is critically important to the people around you and the circumstances of any given moment. Years ago, I ran my first and what will surely be my only full marathon. The week before the race, I called my father-in-law for advice since he had run multiple marathons in his 30s and 40s. In the course of our conversation, he drilled into me that those sports drinks and energy gels I had used during training were newfangled fads and entirely unnecessary. Good old-fashioned water is all you need to drink, he told me. So that's what I did. Now, I was just hoping to finish. I was not looking to set any records. So I stopped at every single water station on the route. But at mile 18, I hit the proverbial wall and struggled for the last eight miles to just put one foot in front of the other. When I dragged myself across the finish line, one of the race officials looked at me and said, you need to come with me. She took me to the medical tent where they immediately hooked me up to an IV. But I drank water the whole time, I said. The medic looked at me with exasperation. You drank too much water, he said. What you needed was salt. Jesus' first listeners would have known how important salt was to life when Jesus called them the salt of the earth. They would have known he wasn't just saying they were an optional flavoring to be used judiciously only after sampling your food. We might think of salt that way as a condiment that boosts flavor, but for Jesus' first listeners, salt was a valuable commodity used not just for cooking, but currency. It was a vital ingredient, not just for food, but for the very health of the economy. Without salt, the world and its peoples could not function. Of course, as a flavoring, salt is not valuable all by itself. It doesn't provide flavor. It enhances what is already there. This is also true of light, which is not valuable by itself. Its value comes in its ability to reveal the things around it. You are the salt of the earth, sustaining whoever and whatever is with you wherever you are. You are the light of the world, revealing and enlightening all the people and the world around you. Jesus' statement is not conditional or transactional. It's simply a statement of truth. Not 
You can be salt if you try hard enough, or you will be light if you follow my advice. No, according to Jesus, this is what we already are, salt and light. Now, Jesus follows these statements up with other statements that can be confusing. If salt has lost its taste, he says, how can its saltiness be restored? And no one puts a lamp under a bushel basket, but on a lampstand. Now, we can hear those phrases as admonishments to maintain our saltiness or to use our light to good purpose, but think about it. Does salt ever lose its taste? And light, if you put it under a bushel basket, that mostly sounds like a good way to start a fire. What if Jesus is saying that what makes us salt and light cannot be put on like a costume or taken off when we don't feel like bearing the responsibility that comes with discipleship? What if Jesus is telling us the fundamental truth of what it means to be created in God's image and called as his followers? You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Whoever you are, wherever you are, salt and light is what you are. As salt, you enhance the world around you. You preserve and protect, you sting, and you heal. As light, you enlighten, you disinfect. You facilitate growth, sometimes blinding in the process. As salt and as light, we reveal the very presence of God, who is always to be found wherever we are. Before he died last year, someone asked the pastor, Eugene Peterson, what he would say if he knew he was writing the last sermon he would ever preach. He replied, I think I would want to talk about things that are immediate and ordinary. In the kind of world we live in, the primary way I can get people to be aware of God is to say, who are you going to have breakfast with tomorrow? And how are you going to treat that person? Who are you going to have breakfast with tomorrow? How are you going to treat that person? No matter who you are, no matter where you are, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. The trouble with Jesus' declaration that his followers are the salt of the earth and the light of the world is that it can too easily become yet another expectation we fail to live up to, especially when we hear him say that our righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees who strove mightily to adhere to the letter of the law to prove their righteousness by doing all the right things. In the past few weeks, multiple people have recommended to me the book Why We Can't Sleep by Ada Calhoun. Starting to think I must look tired. 
This book looks at the particular challenges the women of Generation X are facing in middle age. Calhoun interviewed many women for her book, and nearly every one of them expresses some variation of the same realization. I thought that by now, I would have accomplished something that really mattered. Instead, I feel like I'm barely holding my life together. Expectation can be a powerful antidote to accomplishment, but at the very beginning of his ministry, Jesus has already grasped what took Eugene Peterson a lifetime to discover. The most profound actions we can take are often the most ordinary. And as Jesus will teach his followers with his words and his actions, the way to righteousness is not strict adherence to a set of expectations or rules. It's the ability to be fully present with God, to be salt and light at any given moment. Thirty years after she graduated from Stanford University, Mary Poindexter McLaughlin wrote a poem about failing to satisfy the expectations of her alma mater. The poem was published around the time of the 30th reunion of her Stanford graduation in the University Alumni Magazine. You know the one. It's the one we open usually in the back, and with some anticipation and no small amount of dread, check the class notes to see what accomplishments our fellow graduates have been deemed worthy of inclusion. McLaughlin's poem is titled, Alma Mater. No doubt, she's disappointed. Such a disgrace I turned out to be. Not a policymaker or a tech-savvy entrepreneur. Nothing of note. I gave birth three times and sent three tall, kind people into the world. I offered words of consolation. I planted sunflowers. I listened. Elected official, Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist, cutting-edge thought leader, MD, PhD, CEO, Oscar, Emmy, Tony, Nobel, anything? I closed my mother's eyes when she died, and again my father's. I made no fortune, no headlines, nothing went viral. I sang and danced for no one. I remembered, I noticed, I breathed. Just an ordinary life filled with extraordinary love. How disappointing. According to Jesus, there is nothing disappointing about simply being who you are, who God has called you to be. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world, utterly trivial, profoundly important. This world needs you 
for its very survival. For there is nothing the world needs more than the salt and light, the love and justice, the hope and peace, the joy and mercy only you can provide. Amen.